Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be. It's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else. Lazarus and Mary and Martha and today I want to extend that chat a little bit further in fact I almost had a Lazarus experience this last week I, uh, I'm doing some electrical and stuff at my house we're renovating and uh, there I was I went to my very trustworthy son Caden I said Caden you stand here at the stairs and you watch that light keep your eyes on that light when that light goes off you tell daddy so I went down the stairs, and then he can hear me clicking, you know, pulling off the breakers, right? So click, no, dad, click, no, click, no, click, no, click, yeah, yeah, it's off. Well, sure, sure enough, I came up the stairs, and it was off. Excellent. And by the way, I didn't really want to change this light. I bought this house, part of it, because it had this beautiful yellow 70s look light in it. My wife's been wanting a, that change for years and I'm just like, what are you talking about? This is amazing, this stuff. But she made me take it down anyway, so this is partly her fault, too. She's not here, so she can't defend herself. doesn't matter. So there I go. I get up on this a ladder about as sturdy as this one, 12 feet up. And I start taking down this sweet light. Take it all down. It's all good. I put it down, and then I go back up because i got to strip some wires and all that stuff. And as I'm working on, there's three wires, the ground and the white and black. And as I just start doing all this, Caden, Caden, I thought you said the light went off, right? 
And what happened is my ring here, this is a God ring, by the way. See, there's a fishy on it, which means I'm a Christian. Thank the Lord, because the wire hit my fishy Christian ring and saved my life. But it just sparked, and I'm like this. on. The, and I look, there's a, there's a weld in my ring now. I've had this ring for over 20 years, and now there's, let me tell you what happened. You probably have guessed what happened. What happened is, here I am, I'm telling him to watch the light because I'm turning off the breakers, and once the light's off, bam, no power to the, to the light, right? But who's missing in this equation? Can anybody guess? Pardon me? Jada. Jada's missing in this equation. I love that girl, but boy, watch out. And uh, so... She knows what's going on and nobody notices her, right? So I'm down the stairs. I can't see anybody. I'm just click, click, click. And Caden's just looking up like this. And in, in walks Jada. <laughs> she just comes at the exact right time and switches off the light. Just like, boop. So now the light's off, but still is totally wired for sound. Like totally wired. So there I am. Had my Lazarus experience and I'm just like, where's Jada? Like... <laughs> Oh, man, that girl, she makes me, she keeps me young. Or will send me to my Lazarus experience even further next time. But I want to speak today a little bit more about Lazarus and and about Mary and Martha, but also mostly centering on Mary and how she seems to get it in worshiping Jesus. And I'm hoping more and more that each one of us gets gets to be a bit more like Mary in that we don't care so much what people think about us, but we learn to respond to Jesus daily, moment by moment. When there's one of those God moments, it's just like, doesn't matter what people think, I'll lay it on down because I want to connect, I want to respond to what Jesus has done for me. So maybe before we do that, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for life. I thank you for kids, uh, for a lot of these funny stories that everybody has. Um, And I just, Lord, thank you that you not only give us life, but you give us life to the full. You talk about, you're obviously the the author of life, but you also come and you say, I have come to give you life abundantly, life to the full. And you know what? I'm guessing that today there's lots of us that don't feel that right now. And I pray that this morning, even through studying your word, that you would fill up our cup. That Heavenly Father, you would come and divinely pour into us, pour in over our worries, drown our sorrows, drown our anxieties, and may you be lifted up, may praise be lifted up, may even against all odds help us to worship you in response of who you are, not our circumstances right now. Help us to learn something from the inspired word of God this morning. Help us to connect with you. Help us to learn from Martha, Lazarus, and Mary and the crowds. Because, Lord, we want to connect with you. We want to be your disciples and your servants. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I want to read with with you, or you can follow me in uh, John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, and I'll be actually starting at the end of chapter 11, It continues on in the narrative of Jesus coming to his friends. He's just done some miraculous works. Lazarus has been risen. He was a four-day man. And that was important last week because we knew that some of the thought back then is after three days, it's still amazing. But they thought that the spirit hovered over the dead body still for three days. So four days, that's like 
there's no chance that anything can happen and he starts to stink and Jesus comes. An important verse for us was John eleven thirty five, 35, which was, you memorized it? Jesus wept, that's awesome because we know that he connects with us. He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death, through all the circumstances that weigh you down. He weeps. He connects with us. So we saw this personal God. So here we are now in in, in John chapter 11, verse 55, and listen to this. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up to Jerusalem out out of country before the Passover to purify themselves. Therefore, they were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, so what do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. Isn't that interesting? In three verses, they came to purify themselves and a verse and a half later, tell us where he is so that we may seize him. It's kind of interesting. Purify, kill, purify, kill. You know, get those mixed up sometimes, I suppose. And here we go in John chapter 12. This is our main part of the narrative. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary, therefore, took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, What? Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Come on! Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he is a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Jesus therefore said, let her alone in order that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you will not always have me. The great multitude, therefore, of the Jews learned that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, who he raised from the dead. But the chief priests took counsel that they might put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away, and they were believing in Jesus. What a beautiful passage. We have so much juicy stuff to look at here. I love it. So one of the first things I want us to see is that here we have Martha again, just like in chapter 11. What's she doing? She's serving, 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 serving. Serving's awesome. We need serving. So here she's serving and we have Lazarus, the only man in the story. What's he doing? (laughs) He's sitting around. Woo! More than that, he's sitting and chatting and he's actually witnessing to the boys. So we have Martha serving over here. Here we have Lazarus sitting down with the boys, but they're obviously asking him, what was it like? Did you see a shiny light? Did it say, you know, stay away from the light, come to the light? What happened in those four days that you were dead? And what, what did it feel like? So all this was going on, and he was a flesh and blood witness to the miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have serving, we have witnessing, and then we have Mary 
worshiping. And it's really a no-brainer that worship is really important because it exalts God and reminds us that we are not God. And being a witness is also very important because Lazarus is showing us here that he's testifying. And it's obvious that we're supposed to be doing that. In Matthew 28, it tells us to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And sometimes we look down on Martha because she was go, 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 go. But also, where would we be without service? In fact, this morning, if Marion didn't show up to clean the place, if people didn't show up in here to tidy up in here, if the Saunders weren't in the nursery, because believe me, during the week, this place was a gong show. So if that didn't all happen, if service didn't happen, then worship couldn't happen properly. In fact, I, here's a free one for you. Uh, I used to work with Dutch people, scary. I had no idea what they were like. And uh, there I was, an innocent Mennonite, moving into southern Alberta. And then I got a very quick education on, 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 on Dutch people, right? All sorts, like if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much, all that stuff. And this one guy, Jos Heibrus, he let me know real quick. He would uh, say all sorts of stuff that I'm like, you people actually say that? You know, you know these Dutch people, they shoot from the hip, right? So there I was, and I was having this sizzling youth ministry. It was in the town of 1600, and I would sometimes have 70 kids come out. That's unbelievable, right? So I was just like, yeah, and we had all sorts of volunteers coming from all over the place. And then what would happen is we'd turn that whole church upside down. We had a gym, and we'd turn the kitchen into a canteen. We'd get the kids candied up and stuff, send them home. You know, you know what youth pastors do, right? And, uh, and then I thought it was awesome, but Sunday morning came, and all of a sudden you saw this one woman, and I will protect her identity, but she would, she would come right on up to me, and she had glasses, and she had the full scary look down pat. And she just said, the kitchen's a total mess. How am I supposed to get coffee ready when... The... <sighs> Believe me, she put the fear of the Lord in me. And it was interesting because here I was living on the fumes of an incredibly, really exciting ministry. But when I didn't clean up, then it actually hindered her for her exciting and very important ministry of coffee. Amen? Yeah. So that was kind of interesting. Service is very important in the church because what folks do here during the week helps us to worship the Lord here on Sunday morning. Service is very important. So we have these, basically these three things going on, which is really a commentary on what the church does. Serve, witness, and worship. But here, now I want to go further in worship. The same youth group, I was doing my second missions trip into Mexico. Now, we had all sorts of kids coming. In fact, even when we did fundraisers, we had Mormon kids coming up with our, to our fundraisers, but they wouldn't come to youth group. They wouldn't come to the mission trip, but they wanted to serve. So it was really interesting. Uh, this really big guy, he's probably 300 pounds, and you wouldn't mention it because he could squish you and beat you to pulp. He was just solid. Anytime we had any kind of violent game as a youth pastor, I'd always have him on my team because I know I'd win. It was awesome. There's benefits to being a youth pastor. So here, this guy, finally, he, he uh, comes to me and he is applying to be on the missions team. But he first of all comes to me and he confesses, Steve, um, I smoke pot all the time. 
And I had no idea. I hadn't been exposed to any of this stuff. So every moment that I saw him, every day I saw him, he smoked pot all the time. He was from the West Coast, surprise, surprise. And he had moved over to Southern Alberta. And this guy was always high. So it was interesting because he was confessing that. And I was just saying, yeah, you, there can't be even a hint of that stuff coming across the border. Otherwise, you're going to be visiting me in prison, right? So it was very interesting to walk alongside this guy and for him even to work with him in the next couple of weeks of his grumpiness as he pulled away from that stuff. And we went on this mission trip. And I'm just giving you this background because there we were in an orphanage and there was 50 some orphans. And as soon as you walked in, they would glee onto you. You'd have one or two on your leg. And then they'd be, they'd be mean to each other because, no, he's mine, right? They, they were very possessive of their white missionary kind of thing. And um, this one evening, we had our time. We, we were out building churches and then we come back. We had VBS with the kids. And now it was our time. And there I was playing guitar. And... Um, as I'm playing guitar, in my head, I'm also going, okay, what's another song that starts in D? That's kind of what guitar players do, right? The things were going well, and uh, I'm going to the next song, the next song. And then uh, finally, I, I, I'm closing my eyes as I worship, but I open my eyes and I look up, and I saw something so beautiful. One of the most powerful times that I've been in worship was with these 50 kids that I was with. And I remember especially this big 300-pounder who just, you know, pulled away from pot. And his eyes were closed, his hands were up, and tears were streaming down. It was such a holy moment that I closed my eyes again. I just thought, whoa, this is, I felt like I was a, <laughs> a spiritual peeping Tom, like that I should be, close my eyes and just continue to worship. It was awesome. It was a holy moment. It was a holy moment. Scripture lets us look into a holy moment, I think, with Mary. Through this relationship, somehow we got Martha serving, we got Lazarus witnessing, but Mary knows how to spontaneously or in response worship her Savior. Somehow she turns toward the Lord and anoints him with very costly perfume. She's turning her whole life toward Christ. And by, and by spontaneous, I mean um, there's something that's very natural for her as she's walking with Christ. It's very natural. Something happens, a God moment happens, or Jesus shows up. Bam, she's on the floor at his feet worshiping him. And I wonder if we carve out that kind of time. When we have a God moment or when the Lord just pulls off something, do we just, bam, right there, worship the Lord? Or is it kind of inappropriate or somebody might see us? So there's something about her that she is ready to, to respond right away. And here she is ready to respond by blowing a whole bunch of money on the Savior. And it, it, Judas has a point. What is she doing? That's a whole lot of dough. That doesn't make, why doesn't she sell it at a silent auction and make tons of money for the church? And then we can do all sorts of missions trips. So he's got, I think he's got a pretty good point, pragmatic. But... Jesus doesn't think so. In fact, we can see here too that from our other passages in Matthew and Mark that it seems as though, as we know, bad news or bad attitudes spread real quickly and it seems as though from the other passages that even the other disciples got in on it and were, started mumbling to each other. Yeah, what, is, what is she doing? What is she doing? But yet, no matter what other people thought, I love it 
because she is human. Please put yourself in her shoes. She is human and she set aside her own inhibitions to worship the Lord. She set aside her own inhibitions to worship the Lord. She took the place of a slave, you guys. Who in the world touches other people's feet if you don't get paid for it, right? Who does that? It's the place of a slave. So here she gets down and she anoints his head and his, pretty much his body and his feet and, he, and she is responding in worship, taking the very bottom rung of the ladder. She humbles herself to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody wants to take the back seat. Nobody wants to look stupid, right? None of us do. In fact, I was in Emerge a, a, a couple weeks ago and I sat down and I looked and all of a sudden, I forget what the sign exactly said. I was going to read it on the way to church this morning, but it said something, these seats are reserved for quarantine or for those with infectious. I was like, oh, geez. So I move over here. Like I was just like, I don't want to look like I'm just, eh, eh, you know? So I, you know, I just don't, I, I know what it feels like to look stupid. I've been there a few times. So I obviously hit the road because I didn't want to look like something was wrong with me. But here, it's almost as if she is so in the zone with the Lord Jesus Christ that it doesn't matter what people are thinking. And James actually hints at this in chapter one, I believe, where he says, when you go into a meeting, don't take the exalted seat because what happens if the host then comes says, actually, this seat isn't for you. You got to go to the back. That's so embarrassing. It's much better to sit in the back and say, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Come up here. You know, you, this is, we've reserved this seat for you, right? So, it's human. None of us want to feel stupid or look dumb. But here, it's just like she has no inhibitions. She loves the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and not only that, she has costly worship. We're not talking she has a whole bunch of bottles of perfume. I'm sure she didn't. But it looks as if either this was an heirloom given and passed down through the generations. I'm not sure. Or her, perhaps her family did have some dough. I'm not sure. But there was a whole bunch of money spent on this to the point of it looks as though it was a year's wage because it would have cost about 300 denarii. And at that point, that would have been a year's wage when you realize that the Jewish people didn't work on Sundays. So at, at their average wage, this had huge purchasing power. I'm not saying saving up for a year. I mean working day in, day out for a year, taking all of that money, buying this thing, and then pouring it on Jesus. Like, who does that? Who does that? This generosity, my friends, to me, was a foreshadowing of what was to come. In many ways, you have to remember, this is the Passover. This is looking back. This is looking back at sacrifice. This is looking back to when God delivered the people out of Egypt. This is looking back where they had, by faith, put sacrifice and put blood over the doorposts so that when the angel of death came through, saw that faith symbol and passed by. If it was not there, it went in and killed the firstborn. There was deliverance. There was Passover. And that's what they had come to do. A time of purity, a time of Passover. And here, she's giving us a fantastic foreshadowing of generosity and sacrifice. The act of worship or the broken bottle of perfume must be looked at according to the wages and purchasing power of that day. Again, <clears throat> broken down here, 
One denarius was the daily wage given to a common day laborer. 300 denarii was therefore the equivalent of a whole year's wage for a fully employed laborer. It's a huge, huge amount of money. It reminds me back to 2 Samuel 24, and later on today, you can go home and read this one. But uh, the Israelite people were not being faithful once again, and there the Lord was getting steamed at, at, uh, at David and incites him to actually take, say, take a consensus, but it was a wrong thing. Sometimes they would take a consensus for knowing how many folks you got to go to war, other times for a consensus for paying taxes. This time it was just for a fat head. He was just like, hmm, look at me. So he counts the people, and even the commander of his army says, I don't know if this is a good idea. Be gone, count the people. So he does so, and when it's done, he, the evidence there, the, the, the calculations are in, and all of a sudden it comes upon David. Oh, what have I done? What have I done? Because it was an act of pride. Scriptures even say, don't trust in chariots and horses, trust in the Lord. And David was pretty good at trusting in the Lord, but then in this weak moment or this moment of having a fat head or pride, now he's just going, things are going pretty good here. I wonder how many chariots I do have. My armor's pretty big. Why don't you go ahead and count them? Showing more of a trust in what has been built up in his empire, forgetting it was the Lord's. So without going into too much detail, the Lord did visit him and uh, there was consequences to that action. But one of the things that in his response is he realized, and through uh, coaching of another person, that he needed to make a, a burnt offering and sacrifice to the Lord. So David is very interesting because he could have had anything in the kingdom. He is the king, is he not? So he goes to this one guy, <clears throat> to Anurah, who, who owned a threshing floor, and David is going to make a burnt offering and an altar to the Lord here. And Anurah is a very sharp guy because this is the king. So if he knows anything, he should offer it. And he does that. He says, oh, King David, what's mine is yours. Go ahead. And David will have nothing to do with it. And in 2 Samuel 24, 24, it says, but the king replied to Aranah, no, I insist on paying you for this. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. What's the point? Even way, way, way back then, good old King David showed us a principle here. Worship is costly. Worship costs something. Worship costs something. It's even offering. We just took up offering here, right? That's costly. It costs you something. You've got other things to spend your money on. People were here till late into the night doing that nursery. Surely they could use that time doing other things. Even your time this morning, you could be doing other things. It's costly. It's costly. And David had that principle, and he says, there's no chance that I'm going to sacrifice on this ground and on, on, on your back. This is going to cost me. I think it's an absolute beautiful principle. Ephesians 5. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, 
just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice unto God. So what we're seeing here is we see, first of all, Mary coming, and she is costly breaking this bottle. There's no jamming it in back in the bottle. It's broken now. And now what happens, even the scripture says here, the whole room is filled with this fragrance. I think that's kind of a neat symbol of when you worship costly, when you give the whole room, it spreads. The smell is, goes all over the place. And Ephesians says the same thing, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice unto God. There is something about sacrifice that smells good to God. Maybe it's the smell of submission. Maybe it's the smell of obedience. Maybe it's the smell of a disciple, but he smiles and the smell is good to him. He sees it and he loves it. He loves the response. And just like we read in Ephesians 5, it cost God a ton. It cost him his son. As you know, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and for me. He does not ask us to do something that he has not done or that he has not way trumped. The generosity and the sacrifice of our Lord. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and present yourself to God as a fragrant offering. So what would it look like, my friends, if you went about your day, you got up in the morning, God, today I want to be a a sweet smell for you. I want to be a fragrant offering for you. So don't let this moment be stolen right now and think, well, if only you knew I just lost my job or my marriage is not going well or this or that. Don't get hijacked right now. Even in that situation, What would it be like to even suffer well? What would it be like in those horrible circumstances that you're going through to be a fragrant offering to the Lord? I shared with you a while back, I have ulcerative colitis, it's totally lame, but one time it was not going well. I went up and Ross Hastings was preaching and uh, I went up in in Peace Portal there and uh, he prayed over me, anointed me with oil and um, I was just broken. I was so sad because I was so sick of struggling with this. And then he felt that he got a word from the Lord. And here I'm going, you're healed, you know, or something like that. It wasn't, but it was so good. He says, Steve, I I sense that the Lord wants to tell you something. And I'm dripping at the mouth. Tell me. You have suffered well. That might sound cheap, but I grab onto that. It's, it's not for naught, right? It's not for naught. And I know that. I've had so many cool ministry experiences through the suffering. And I'm not saying that the Lord makes you suffer so that you can minister to that person. Let's not get into all that doctrinal debate here. But what I'm saying is God can use your warts and your bumps and your lame circumstances and your hurtful circumstances, and he can use you because I haven't been there. I've been over here, but you've been over there and you've been over there. So now the Lord is going to use your unique hurts, desires, broken dreams, fulfilled dreams to minister to other people. And that is the beauty of the body of Christ. 
That is the beauty of the body of Christ. You know, also from Romans 12, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. So I wonder, what would it look like? So just to bring us back, and we'll conclude with this, and we get to have the Lord's Supper today. This is really exciting. Because this is on the heels, you got to remember, of the Passover, where they would also have something like this, but quite different looking back into Egypt. But we are going to be having communion together, and it reminds us of the beautiful sacrifice that the Lord has made for us that costs him dearly, but yet even when we partake on this stuff, this is a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We come together, don't you think it smells so good when he goes, ah, my people getting along. My people worshiping me in in unity, in the spirit and the bond of truth, Ephesians 4. This is the kind of stuff that, yeah. And folks, we can have this response daily. Yeah, we got to center once again. That's what we talked about last week, centering on Christ so that we can look and even through our circumstances, just keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So it's only fitting today that as we look at this abandoned worship, as we look at, uh, at, at Mary and how she responded with generosity and how she responded and couldn't get it back, how she just poured it out, no inhibitions, we can do the same this morning by going to the table and enjoying communion together. So let me, let me just expand a little bit on what communion means. From 1 Corinthians, we have a beautiful passage, and it says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. says this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me and in the same way he also took the cup also after supper saying this cup is the new uh, this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes therefore whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the bot of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a person must examine himself, herself. In so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, and for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge his body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number asleep or have died. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. For when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining manners I will arrange when I come. So what in the world are we talking about here? The Corinthian church was fantastic because it was so messed up. Like there was weird things going on in that church which again points toward the inspiration of scripture. Because if you think that maybe the scripture was set up by humans and stuff, why in the world would they have such weird detail sometimes that doesn't make the church look very good? Corinthians, 
boy, that church was kind of crazy. He's telling him, Paul's just telling him, don't come and be gluttons. Yeah, we're taking communion and some of you are just grabbing a whole bunch and shoving your face and drinking the wine. And it's just like, that's not the point of what we're doing here. Some of you are being gluttons and by the time the last person comes, they're licking their finger trying to get crumbs because you guys have been gluttons. So here he's saying, Stone, no, stand, stand back, sit back and I want you to examine yourself. He's giving us the authority in the spirit to examine yourself. And Lord, is there something about me? Am I holding a grudge? Have I not forgiven? And he wants you to take that time so that you can come in a worthy manner. That doesn't mean it's all perfect. So when you walk up here today, it's not an example of, wow, look at him. He's got it all together. Not at all. This is one of those examples of understanding your need for Jesus. This passage is saying, deal with it. Absolutely. But we're also, well, my wife has also said that even when there's something really hard or a struggle or even a sin you're trying to overcome and you're, oh God, I find it so hard to forgive her. I find it so hard to forgive him. When you're walking up here, you're kind of committing to pressing in to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ because the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ can trump and is oh so much more powerful than anything that you have committed. So take some time to examine yourself. Take some time to look into the mirror and see what incredible sacrifice and the generosity that the Lord has had toward us. And let us worship the Lord together in communion. Could I have the service come It's all about you from my heart.